Welcome to the 14th episode of the second series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women and customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to a woman who grew up in the townships of South Africa and is dedicating her life's work to using her CX skills to heal the social and economic divides created by apartheid. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She started her career on the front line of customer experience in call centres before working her way up in management consulting until she broke out as the first entrepreneur to start a fully black-owned CX consultancy business that she aptly named Unlimited Experiences. Her personal story is one of tremendous strength and courage through adversity, so sit back and tune in for some serious inspiration. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Mandisa Makibalu. Hey, Hello. Mandisa. <laughs> Hello, Kate. <laughs> um, how are you today? I'm awesome. I'm amazing. Cape Town is beautiful. And how are you? I'm awesome too. And yes, you are awesome. We are awesome. (laughs) And welcome to the Women in CX podcast and welcome to everybody listening at home as well. So Mandisa, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today because I know you're doing some absolutely incredible work in your hometown of South Africa, um, in Cape Town, in bringing together the communities from the cities and the townships to really affect some social change. Um, I think it's a really important story that needs to be heard and it needs to be shared. So thank you so much for coming to share it with Women in CX. Thank you. It's an honor for me to be on the podcast, eh? Excited. It's an honor to have you here. So let's begin at the beginning then. Um, So we're going to talk a lot about where you came from. So where your office today, where where are you joining us from? I'm joining you from South Africa. I'm in the city of Cape Town in the Western Cape province. So the country is about nine provinces. I'm in the Western Cape province in the beautiful city of Cape Town that has the the notorious um, Table Mountain. Mm. And I'm in the township, I'm born in the township of Kukuletu, which means our pride. Mm -hmm. But I'm stationed in terms of our offices, I'm in the township of Philippi, Mm -hmm. which is a township that is, the the office park itself, Mm -hmm. it's surrounded by your tinned housing structures. And um, we're in a business park that is designed in a way that captures the beauty of our culture and our our race as in South Africa. Amazing, amazing. I've been to South Africa. I visited Cape Town twice. It's definitely one of my favorite really? places on earth. Yes, yes. I've climbed Table Mountain. I've climbed Lion's Head. I've taken the oh, no. from the top. Yeah, I came as a speaker. So <laughs> I, I did a, a solo uh, drive for all the way uh, down the Western Cape up to Neisner. And oh, I stopped nice. in lots of different places, Stellenbosch. So I'm a massive fan of the country. It's a beautiful place. Oh, nice. <laughs> and next time. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> next time, I'm definitely going to come and visit you. So my first yes. question is going to be about what it was like for you as a young woman growing up in the townships of post-apartheid South Africa. But I think for the listeners, it's probably important for us to, to understand what was apartheid in the first place? How did the townships become the townships? So apartheid was a system that was created to separate people. So it was intended to create the system that separates the blacks from the whites. So what you had was the whites would stay in one side of of the city 
and the and the and the and the black African blacks would stay on in the townships. Mm -hmm. So the system itself was intended to really segregate and separate people and to 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 bring this division across humanity, across humans. So as a result of that, right now we are still in that system, but we can talk more about that as throughout the, the podcast. Oh. But really apartheid was a system that was created back then, which was intended to segregate and divide people oh, according to their skin color. It's absolutely disgusting, isn't it? To think it wasn't that long ago either. When um, Nelson Mandela was freed in, was it in the 1990? 1994. 1994. 1994. Wow. Yeah. Uh, such, such a recent time. So um, you're telling me about the beauty of the townships. I think you said that the township you grew up in, the um, translation of the word means pride. Yes. Yeah. So yes. I, I know you're very proud of your heritage. So tell me what it was like as a young uh, woman growing up in the township. It's... It's who I am, it's my identity, mm -hmm. and it's, it's the most humbling and the most beautiful. I'm sure you could probably say the same in terms of where you grew up as well. But for me, you know, we have been brought up in a community of people where there's a term that's called which means that I am because you are, oh. and you are because I am. I love that. You know, so we were brought up with those family, with those principles in our culture, in the black community. So we lived in houses that were very attached to one another. Mm -hmm. So there was no detachment. It was sometimes we call it like a train. Mm -hmm. So the way in which the train is designed, that's how the houses are. So there's no separation between the one house and the other house. But what that instilled in us is that unity and that family. So if you left something you would just stand across the fence and shout, can I have a, a spoon of salt? Can I have sugar? Can I have a slice of bread? Yeah. So we had that. And there was nothing shunned upon in terms of asking your neighbor mm. because we were being brought up in a family and this homely setup. Mm. So for me as a mother today and as a business owner, I am who I am because of where I grew up. And I'm this family-oriented person. I'm a family person that loves unity and being amongst people because I grew up like that. I come from a family of nine, wow. um, seven brothers and, and, and two girls. I'm the second youngest. And we, had, we grew up in a big house. My dad had a family owned business. Mm -hmm. So we had helpers at home all the time. The house was constantly busy. And we were the first house in our block to own a television set. So the entrepreneur in my I actually kicked in at that time because when the guys came to watch programs, I would charge them a fee. <laughs> I, I love that. So your entrepreneurial Mandisa started as a very yeah. good girl. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And, and that's really how we grew up on a Sunday. We had this big pot of food that was prepared and everybody was there. I think the only time the house was ever quiet was when we were sleeping at night. But throughout the day, there was constant traffic. But that's how that, that's that's the culture. There's this constant traffic and the constant movement. There's never a dull day or a quiet day. And that's how we grew up. And I love that. You know, even when I grew up and I moved to the city, and we can talk about that later on. But I found that it was so different to how I grew up. Because the, the structures in terms of the way the houses are being built. There's this separation between the houses, but I grew up in a space where there was this attachment. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. you know, there was the next door, the neighbor, the neighbor, the neighbor. So it was beautiful growing up as a, as a, as a black woman in the township. It sounds idyllic. And I was going to say, actually, like that sense of atta- attachedness rather than separation. Actually, mm. not many people get that sense of community growing up. So it, it sounds like you were definitely on the right side of the... <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? Hey? <laughs> Sorry to cut you. You know what happened? As much as apartheid was intended to separate and segregate people, it actually worked in our favor. Yeah. But it brought us together. Strengthen the community. There was homeliness and now you have these mothers that are coming up from that kind of setup so as much as racially we were separated Mm -hmm. but for us as a as a a black community Mm -hmm. we grew to love one another Mm -hmm. and there was this unity that nobody could break even today yeah and and what about um the expectation for young women in the townships what what was that like? Is, were women supposed to grow up and be entrepreneurs like you? <laughs> um, I would say yes, yeah. but as a black community, mm-hmm. and this is something that I'm, this is a stereotype that I'm trying to break as, yeah. a, as a businesswoman today. Mm-hmm. There were these so-called black businesses. So if you set up a business as a black person, mm-hmm. it's either you, did, you, you were doing hair you were selling food mm-hmm. or you would what's the other one so you're cutting hair you're selling food so there's this tradition traditional or mm. setups that were created as for the black community so if you had a business it was only limited to those things wow and and, and that's how people grew up you know it's either you were selling meat you were selling food you prepare food at home or you were cutting hair, you plaiting people's hair, or you 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 yeah, you you have a barber. That's all that we did. That was done at the time. Mm-hmm. But there's been this evolution now, and there's your consultants today, like Amanda Sabakumalo, which you wouldn't have found back in the days. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> and, and it was you created the first black-owned CX consulting practice in South Africa, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Go girl. <laughs> <In what? Yes. laughs> I'm going to come back and ask you some more questions about that in a second. But just to go back to where we were um, talking about the um, townships and the cities, with that yes. kind of model of separation, how is that shaping inequality and social issues today? It, it still is, we have a long way to go, I can, I can say that, mm-hmm. but there's been great progress that has been made. Mm-hmm. I think what it requires is a level of intentionality mm-hmm. at an individual level, and we cannot outsource that responsibility of driving equality to a government department. Mm-hmm. It has to be something that's in, in owned, and Mandisa has to be intentional about driving equality. Growing up at a young age, I did not see that because my dad took us to a private school. So we were not schooled within the township, but we went to a private school and we had a driver that would pick us up at home in the morning and drop us off at home in the afternoon because our dad feared for our lives, but he could afford that. You know, it wasn't safe for one to travel and use. I think as a parent, he had fears around us using public transportations and whether or not we would be safe. So he then paid, um, we had a transport schooling system. The guy would pick, up, pick, up, pick us up in the morning and bring us home in the evening, mm. in the late afternoon. Um, just going back to your question. So what, what has happened, which I still see today, 
as a result of the apartheid system or the regime, as we call it, mm -hmm. what you do find is that, so let's say I'm now owning this, this customer experience consultancy. Mm -hmm. And as a result of this, I'm able to get myself this beautiful and build myself a beautiful big house. Mm -hmm. So the definition of success at the moment as a result of what had happened back then mm -hmm. is that for you to be successful, one moves out of the township and into the city. Right. So you, you get yourself a, this beautiful job, you study, you have a degree or you have a diploma and then you get yourself a beautiful job as an accountant or a financial manager, whatever the profession is. You buy yourself a car, you get yourself a house and you move out of, this, of, the, of the township. And that is deemed as success, you know? And what that does for us within the same race, what you find is that a black person that lives in the city and moves out and moves out of the township now comes back into the city. So into the township to visit, there's almost this sense that I'm better than them. Right. You know, and, and it's, it's, it's what the system has done in, yeah. in, in, in essence, you know, you look at these young kids that listen to what their moms and their dads say at home. And they come and they, they are schooled in these private schools and they have a specific accent in, the terms, of, in terms of how they speak. Mm -hmm. Now they come back into the township and then there's a young boy that their parents cannot afford to take them to private school, mm -hmm. you know, and they don't have that accent that the other one has. And you see how they interact with one another. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, these two are both blacks. But you, you see how the one looks down on the other. The other one would have an iPad. The other one doesn't even have exposure to any tech device. Wow. You know, and that's what the system has done. But that responsibility has got to be owned by the parents. Mm -hmm. has got to be owned by Mandisa. It cannot be outsourced to anybody. Yeah. So as a result of what happened back then, you still find that there's this inequality amongst us within the same race. And, and, and it's quite, it's quite bad, so it's but like, I can also say, yes. So, so sorry, just so to, to kind of play that back. So what's been created is a kind of social inequality based on economic status. That yes. means people have been conditioned to believe the only way for me to be successful is to get out of here. And then of course the people yes. who do succeed leave and it leaves the social um, and economic challenge ongoing, yes. right? Okay. Yes. And at the same time, look, the, the, the reasons why people move out of the townships isn't only because they want to now start yeah. separating themselves from everybody, but from a security perspective, Safer. there's a lot of crime in the townships, mm. it's not safe, you know, and you find that it's much safer in the city mm. for understandable reasons, because if you look at the population in the cities and in the township, there's a vast difference between the two. So people don't only move out of the townships because they are now saying that I'm successful, I'm moving into the city, but they move out of the township for security reasons. Mm -hmm. And it's not always the case that now I'm all of a sudden better than everybody else. I remember when we first talked, you told me about the Black Diamonds. Yeah. Tell me more about those, those people. <laughs> They're booking the train. So the Blacks, yeah, so the University of Cape Town, which is one of our very esteemed institutions in South Africa, has done um, studies. And you can go back and take some time and read up on this. Mm -hmm. There's so much more in interesting insights mm -hmm. about this of, of individuals. Mm -hmm. But they are between the ages, I think it's between the ages of 25 to 35. I might be wrong. And they are your money, as I would say, although I'm outside of 35 years old, 
but they are your, your graduates mm -hmm. and they hold um, quite senior positions in corporates. Mm -hmm. They earn salary and they have this massive contribution that they make towards the country's um, gross domestic product and the total consumer spending of the country. They have a massive percentage that they make towards that. But this group of people, some of them choose to stay in the townships. They don't move out of the townships. Some of them do move out of the townships, mm -hmm. but you do find black diamonds that are staying right in the heart of the townships mm -hmm. and they haven't opted to move out, which is a fantastic thing. But I'm again not saying that it's a bad thing to move out, but I'll let it be for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And that when you do come back and visit your family, it's not a case of you perceiving yourself to be better than everybody else. And now that you have achieved life and you're better than everybody else, it's not about that. It's really about saying that I want better. And if there's better, then we will choose better. But I'm still true to who I am. I'm an African Black woman that, that recognizes that I was brought up in this place and I'm a product of this, of this place. It sounds like um, there's a real sense of giving back you um, and also some of the people that choose to stay in the townships I'm sure to provide excellent role models for the next generations coming up um, yes. so, so I think I'd just really love to understand a bit more about the, the challenges you faced in um, I guess kind of breaking through the stereotype and setting up the first uh, black owned CX consulting practice what was that journey like for you? Oh, it was it's the most beautiful journey I've had a lot of challenges, I would say, um, <clears throat> but what had happened is it started off at a time when I had lost my job. The previous company I had worked for had liquidated. So I lost my, actually I was laid off before the company liquidated. And here I was very senior head of department in this consulting firm, and then I lose my job. And then um, I, I, at the time I was staying in, in the city and when my choice to move to the city was again for security reasons, but not because now all of a sudden I've, now I'm now trying to deem myself as successful than any, anybody else. So at the time, then when I lost my job, I lost my house, I lost my car, I had to move out of the city and go back to the township. But when I moved back, I had no place to stay. So I was staying with friends and I had to ask people to look after my furniture. And that went on for about three years mm -hmm. where I had no place to stay. Um, and at that time, what kept me going was my faith. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a very strong believer. I have an intimate relationship with, with, with God. So what kept me going was my, I had this peace that still I have today in the midst of whatever happens. I have this peace that just surpasses all understanding. And a lot of the time people would tend to ask, well, Melissa, it's like you're in your own space. But I have this peace inside and this knowing that I'm okay and I'm not my circumstances. It was difficult though for my daughter and my 75 year old mom who had to go and stay with a friend. And my daughter had to go and stay with me with a friend. And I remember I used to sleep on a couch in the front of the house and she shared a bed with my friend and my mom had no place to sleep there. She had to sleep on the floor. So it, it, was, it was terrible. But at that time, I knew that, I knew what I had is that my decide, 
you might be going through this season right now, but there's so much intellectual property that you had in you. And how can you then use that to give, you know, to build something for yourself? So I remember hopping around from place to place with my laptop every single day, trying to find a Wi-Fi spot. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I would go to meetings, hoping that they will have food for me to eat and I'll pack some food for my daughter to take home. Wow. But in the midst of that, I was building this business, you know? And my mom kept on saying to me, Manisa, what are you doing? Like, mom, I'm starting a consulting company. But my child, that's for white people. You know, that's white people stuff. <laughs> and I mean, she, 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 she grew up at the time of the apartheid system. So I would understand, but I took no offense because I knew that there was this big age difference between myself and her and she wouldn't understand. But I was protecting of my daughter because she didn't understand what was happening. You know, we had everything. She had everything that she needed. And all of a sudden we don't have anything, we just lost it all. So that was a challenge that I had, but at the time my faith grew stronger and stronger. I prayed like I've never prayed before, but there was this knowing clear that this is just a test. I'm gonna come out of this beautiful and shining. I knew that, like I knew, I knew when they said this is a test. This is like touching my soul right now. <laughs> it's so inspiring. And that piece that you're talking about, I think especially for people who've lost so much through the coronavirus pandemic, you know, to hear of your struggle and your, your how you overcame that, you know, um, to think there was a time when you were worried about being able to eat, you know, and where you've come from and where you've come to. And um your multiple successes honest honestly this is like touching my heart right now <laughs> and, so and you know we, proud we of to, you <laughs> we got to a place where we found a place to stay but you know you know what as we stayed there there were days where there was no electricity and i would go out with my laptop sometimes i'd even have soap to wash my body mm -hmm. i'll wash in cold water mm -hmm. this was just Two and a half years ago, eh? wow. and I would get home only to find my mom and my daughter sleeping. There's no power at home. There's no food at home. But I had the most beautiful support from friends because I've always been that person that was always led to give, to give, and yeah. to give. Yeah. And I guess I was just sowing the seed at the time, not knowing that there's going to come a time where that seed will speak for me. And I had people just coming giving food from all different sides and um, people clothe me. They know how I love looking beautiful. And I had just people saying, go oh, get your hair done, go have your nails done. Um, let's sort you out. Do you have data? Do you have airtime? Mm -hmm. But in that time, I, even up until today, when we stayed in a one room um, home. Mm -hmm. So I actually, we actually moved out of that structure care mm -hmm. in December last year, 2020. Oh, wow. I promise you, as I'm doing those sessions with, with Jonathan and everybody yes. else last year, we are staying in a one-roomed structure and it's four people in that space. And I kept on pushing this business in that space. Only in December, on the 22nd of December, 2020, we moved into a bigger house that's fully furnished. I never would have known <laughs> that that struggle was going on behind the scenes because everything you've been doing over the last year um you know your profile is really raised you've been contributing to all these amazing global conversations 
that I think our listeners will be genuinely surprised to know that you were doing it from from that place. But you know, I have absolutely nothing but absolute huge respect and admiration. And there is a light that just shines from you, Melissa. <laughs> it is incredibly powerful. <laughs> So, so tell us about how you're using customer experience to change the social inequalities in South Africa. You're, you're healing some of these, these divides between the cities and the townships. Yes. How are you doing that? And I, I, you know what? I think what I went through is what has ignited this. It has always been there to, to want to help. I've always been felt, I always felt compelled to help. You know, I've always been that person that, always gives advice and helps other people. I think what I went through during that three-year period actually just ignited that even more. So what I have been doing, and this I've been doing when I had absolutely no money, I ran quarter workshops last year, training local businesses at no cost. I needed the money so much, but I felt don't do it for the money. And I would use my last money and buy cookies and soft drinks. And I would invite these guys to come in. I will go to different hotels and ask them for marketing material. I will set up the room and I will train these guys on customer experience. Because I'm saying to them, don't set your eyes on just running a salon in this tin structure. Try and think of running a beauty parlor. You know, and how does that look like? You know, I'm teaching them about the principles of the different touch points they have within this shack that you are running your container, your, your salon in. You know, make sure that your mirrors are clean. Clean the combs, you know, make sure that your floor is clean. When people come in, greet the people. So CX, that's what CX is about. You know, that I was, then those guys would do journey mapping with me. Wow. The one lady is selling in the corner of the street, she's selling food and she's selling chicken feet. And I will tell her how CX looks like for her. You know, and I'm saying to them, don't set your eyes on small things. There's a world that's out there. And I'm trying to get a lot of you guys into these bigger supply chains mm -hmm. that you can start. Because I sit in, I sit in different um, forums and conversations where this big corporate would say, we are looking for black owned businesses, we can't find them. And I'm saying, are they there? Mm -hmm. And I realized there's a disconnect somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I had to sit there and say, Money, so what do you have that you can give back mm -hmm. and empower these guys? You know, there's this bad thinking that branding is about printing of t shirts and caps. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying to the guys, branding is not about printing t shirts and caps, mm -hmm. branding is actually bigger than that. The psychology behind colors. And I would teach them all of these things about. The purpose of invoicing, how do you get the feedback? You know, you don't have the tools to run expensive surveys, but you can create a shoebox. And when your customers leave, ask them to leave a note. How do you take those insights and build a, a product and a solution for them? And that's what I did. I mean, they will tell you today, they know the difference between CX and customer services. That's more than a lot of businesses. And I, <laughs> and I sat with about 60 entrepreneurs in, in that time with absolutely nothing. I was getting nothing back. But I just felt led to, you know, to do yeah. that. And every time I had done that, at the end of each of those sessions, I would attract an opportunity. Yeah. You know, and I always say that, that's why I always say, Blessed is the hand that gives, not the one that receives. Mm -hmm. And that's the principle. 
you know, give, give, and it will be given unto you. But you don't give because you want to receive. You give because you have a heart to give. Oh, Mandisa, like, honestly, like, I've got, you know, um, <laughs> when the hairs on your arms stand up listening to yes. you. Yes. So, such an incredible connection between, like, your purpose, your passion, and giving back and making a difference. And it's so genuine. Like, oh, honestly, I feel like I've got a little tear coming at the back of my eyes. I'm so moved <laughs> by you and your story. And there's so much for us to learn um, from the realness of, of, of you, your, your story and your purpose. Oh, it's amazing. So, so how are you bringing in the corporates then? You, I, I think that's just basically there's this gap where they're looking for black owned businesses. They can't seem to find them. Are you yes. filling that gap by being the connection? Yes. So what I, so what I do once I've engaged with them, mm. I would actually help them in terms of building, if they don't have a social media mm. footprint yep. and I would say to them, look, you, nobody knows who, knows who you are. Mm. If you don't have any um, visibility online, yep. that's the reality. So I would offer to help them around creating posts, yeah. how to capture images. Some guys don't even have phones. Mm -hmm. And I would say, look, I have an iPhone, thank God. And I would give them my phone to use. I'll give them access to, to, to Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. And I'll help and I'll showcase their businesses either on my company website or I will showcase them on my, on my socials as well. I have also offered when I have free capacity, I would sit with them and teach them how to write, to do blogging, how to create articles, how to actually just market themselves through, through content, you know, and, and they have found it helpful. I might not ever meet them again. Some of them I have met, but I know that I've made a difference in the, in the, a difference in the lives of those businesses because I'm saying to them that who said you have to be stuck in the township, you know, in, in that small tent, um, structure for your business you can actually own an office space I started off at home and I used to put my, lap, my laptop on my lap and type sometimes there was no power I would walk around the house trying to find um, a, a stronger connection but now today I'm sitting in an office structure you know and I'm not paying anything for this office structure mm. but if I had I believe that if I had not given back yeah. and been that intention about giving back I wouldn't have attracted all the favor that I have been getting. Well, it's absolute favor that I've been getting. It's so, you know, so true, isn't it? Like when you focus on the outside world and getting things for yourself or like material gains, the world always acts against you. When you get to a place of being and giving and sharing, the opportunities find you. Yes. So the things you may want, yes. <laughs> you don't focus on them. You focus on being the kind of person you want to be and being in service of others and I totally agree with yes, you there's so yes. much power in attracting the good stuff when you're doing the good stuff yes. your, yourself exactly yeah oh, love it so my final question really is about how do you think um you can support more women in historically disadvantaged communities to achieve social and economic mobility you've talked a lot about like, creating workshops and free training is there anything else that you'd add about supporting women to rise up i think you know what happens and it's something i share with my you know i get i get quite emotional you know um i think because there was a reason why God allowed me to walk through that season. Mm -hmm. Because if I had not gone through that season, I probably wouldn't have this, this heart that I have 
it, it's been there, but now it's at a different, it's at a different level. Mm-hmm. I'll be quite honest. And it is as a result of what I went through. And as a result of that, I want to say to, to other women that have been through the corporate space that you don't always have to give people money, just give them yourself. You know, I know that my daughter has the luxury of having me to hold her hand. Mm-hmm. Some young people don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last year, Claire, I, not last year, in 2018, I got to train a group of 25, 18 and 16 to 18 year olds. You know, I realized then that what these guys, what we see is manifestation of a deeper problem. I'll give you an example. I had a young boy in that group. I remember giving them an exercise to do and I said to, to them, these are strength cards. So pick up a card with the name that depicts your strengths and your areas of development. And these guys were struggling to find their strengths. And I observed them. And these guys would walk from home to come to this program. And they had no means to get here. And this one boy says, as he's standing in the front, that he doesn't believe in forgiveness. And everybody else started judging him. And I said, and I knew there was something deep. And I asked him, talk to me, why is that? This young boy says he lost his mom at the age of five. After his mom died, his dad passed away at the age of six. And after his dad passed away, his aunts and and, and uncles took him in but they abused him and he had to leave this place and go live in the streets. And that's why he struggles with forgiveness. But if I had not taken the time to really unpack and understand, I would have judged that poor boy. And after that program, he came to me and he said to me, thank you. Because he had given up hope that there are people that still believed in him but his unforgiveness was framed by a lot of things that he did not ask for, nor did he deserve. So I always say to women that are in my, play, in my position, you don't have to give money back to people. There is so much of you that you can give back, but we have to hold these kids by hand and walk with them. And I do this all the time. My daughter gets tired of me sometimes because I'm always giving prep talks to her friends. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm also invited to different graduation ceremonies at different institutions here where I go and speak to the youth. You know, I share my story with them. And I think I've seen that it hits home and it carries much more weight because I come from the township, I grew up here and I'm occupying international spaces mm. and they see that it can be done. And the fact that I did this at a time where I had absolutely nothing to my name besides my Lisa. And I said to them, you are not where you grew up. I did it. You know, there were times at home where it would be pouring and the rain would come in and I would have to pick out water from the house but I will get dressed, get up and walk out of that house and go fight for what I want. You know, so that message really resonates with all of them in such a way that these institutions keep on saying, they just want you, they don't want anyone else. And I guess that's why God had allowed me to go through that so that I can be that healing oil 
to all these young people. And that's why I'm so, I'm so passionate about the township setup. You know, I believe that I can only give back here and nowhere else. And and so so that's Mondays, I guess, you know. Oh wow. Monday. So honestly, <laughs> this has been the most moving episode I've ever recorded. Um, <laughs> like just reflecting back on uh, all of you know your your story, your personal story. I mean, for anybody listening, it really seriously puts into perspective our struggles. Um, and you wore yours like a warrior with the absolute faith that there's something was going to come from it. And you're living proof that continuing to follow the path, the right path, the path of giving back um, is having such a huge impact on the world. I don't think many people can stand back and look and say that they have achieved as much as you. So I'm absolutely so thankful that you came and you shared this with me today and you shared it with our listeners um, and you've also really got me thinking, I'd love to have you on board as a consultant for the women in CX community to think about how we can make sure that what we're creating is accessible to women mm. who perhaps don't have the access to pay for a membership. How can we make yes. sure um, this is available to people who really yes. need it too? So we can have a conversation about this afterwards but um just, <laughs> honestly like I feel I feel like this light that you've shared is filled my heart as well so all the way over there in South Africa <laughs> that Mandisa power is here with me right now so thank you thank you thank you, thank you for coming you. on the show and, and, and thank you for everybody listening and watching along as well too and we'll see you all next week thank you Mandisa bye-bye thank you Claire bye Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Musket. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more, please join us at womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Join us again next week where I'll be talking to a woman in CX about investing in yourself, CX in FM and IoT and her journey to becoming a Chief Experience Officer. See you all next week.